welcome back guys it's it's been a minute but we're back episode 41 of guns gear and beer i'm your host Derek campbell i'm joined tonight by jonathan of sog knives hey man and alex of gray man and company good evening so we had a little bit of a deja vu for us we had already sat down and recorded a fantastic episode at our room party uh in vegas um, which if you've listened to the previous episodes, you know, we got a noise complaint and almost got kicked out of the hotel. It was a good time. Um, but it's just a fantastic conversation. And we recorded it. And we're like, man, that's great. Let's do another segment. And then Ben gets up and walks over to the computer only to see that, oops, the computer ran out of memory like 15 minutes in. So we just lost all of it. So we're back. We'll try and uh, replicate the magic of that and just hang out. It's been a minute. We get messages a lot about when more podcasts are coming up. Uh, but we finally have the new shop, the new Moguns shop all set up in the back. And if our terrible Colorado Woods Internet holds up, uh, we're hoping to do this much more often. So, guys, how have you been holding up during the uh, insanity that has been the last six months since SHOT Show? You go, Alex. You got a far more interesting story. Uh, I don't know. Uh, well, I, I mean, it's been it's been pretty crazy for us here at Kramer and Company. Uh, so most of the staff here are part time, and, and uh, for the most part, the other job is government related. And so we have been doing a lot of emergency management related stuff up until like a couple months ago when our contracts ran out. And I was like, "That's good. I'm very happy that this contract is out." But um, Things have been pretty crazy in the fashion space, as you can imagine, uh, during during all this. Uh, I think Louis Louis Vuittonmo at Hennessy is like divesting a huge amount of money from their garment brands and what have you. So um, that's an indication of things. But uh, yeah, things things have been interesting. We're actually looking at a couple of new products and what have you to uh, to pivot towards because our our, our suit sales. Uh, as you can imagine, work from home, Zoom, uh, lack of things like weddings and graduation ceremonies have dipped dipped the volume a bit, and uh, our you know our staff are kind of feeling it also. Um, so that's mostly been what it uh, that's mostly been our time. It's been pretty challenging, I think, but uh, it's been exciting because it's kind of given us a chance to to focus on some pretty exciting new mm-hmm. projects. For those that don't know, what is uh, Grayman and Company? And can you give us a little bit of background about it? Because I'd, okay. I, I, I had heard of the company. I wasn't really familiar with it until Jonathan introduced me to you. Um, but you guys do some some very cool stuff. Yeah, we're we're pretty boutique. We're pretty uh, small and intimate. Uh, we're a bespoke tailoring house that make tailored suits, uh, high end, fully canvassed, bespoke tailored suits. Uh, customized obviously individually per person and they have like an array of tactical features that are available so you know if you need some cut resistant armor in your sleeves if you you know often are getting into hand-to-hands with people with edge weapons or or, you know broken balls or something like that or if uh, you need to draw and you know adopt an isosceles uh, and, and and shoot your glock or whatever it is and you don't want to tear out the back of your shoulders constantly as, as people often do. Uh, we have a bunch of features, uh, for that mobility protection. Um, and then some, some miscellaneous ones, all of our pockets are lined with ripstop fabric, for instance, that's kind of like a miscellaneous value add feature because 
I was drilling holes through my pockets of my normal suits constantly back when I was working. So, um, yeah, that's what we do. It's, it's all bespoke and we generally use Reda or Laura Piana fabric. So it's all Italian. Uh, Laura Piana is arguably the uh, most luxurious textile or, or fabric house in the world. So that was, uh, seeing, you know, what, what, COVID did to Italy and what have you, and to China, there was a lot of impacts on our supply chain and our operations. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, on, on my side, I think, um, I don't think I've been this busy in a long time. So I, enough in the past, I've worked a lot of startups, a lot of, um, you know, early to mid stage business, but it's been just crazy the last six months. I mean, we were in the process of um, implementing a lot of technologies to allow us to work remote and various other places. And um, it's just lucky that, um, you know, when all this stuff hit and the Washington state got closed down, that we had all the tech to just, you know, move everyone home. So that's been, that's been great. But I've got a three-year-old that runs around a lot, so she's been at home. So that's been tough. But in the process, we've also been um, launching the new brands. We've been launching all our new products. Um, I'm I normally work two to three years ahead of where you know the, the season is, so I'm already looking at at things a couple of years from now. So we work on new product designs and, and all that kind of stuff. And normally, you know, we, we workshop stuff in a room with the engineering team, the design team, with product strategy. And now we've just got to adopt, you know, this you know, technology as, as that, that meeting space. So um, it's been a little different, but sales for us have been crazy good. Um, I think people have, you know, are in that real preparation mindset. So they want mm-hmm. the gear, but... Um, initially we thought, holy crap, like everyone's wanting stuff because of COVID and they want to be prepared and, you know, everyone's getting interested. I mean, just like gun sales right now, you know, that, that, that has lifted up all the adjacent, um, industries associated with it, but we've continued to see a really strong, um, engagement and sell through. So, um, you know, after, you know, all the rush with the COVID stuff. So we think that, uh, the brand's working, the new product's working, um, Anyone's familiar with SOG or SOG, however you want to call it, um, will we'll know that there's kind of a really great history at the beginning and then it kind of went its own way in the last decade where it went became that Walmart gas station special. And so, um, you know, I was brought on to help change that and pivot it and um, get back to something a little bit more authentic to where we started. So a lot of our new releases, um, I think, uh, you know, previous fans or, or new fans are really liking that that it's back to where we started when Spencer Fraser started the company. But sorry, really long answer. It's been crazy busy, and um, it's been great being at home and seeing the kid and, and wife. But uh, <laughs> it's just maybe a bit, too much home time. Yeah, it's a bit intense. Like I just before this, I um, the, the the podcast, I ran over to the office to look at some new products. Um, We've got just, just a secret. We've got automatics coming out next year, and uh, new automatic knives. Oh, I'm I'm really proud of what the team has done. I'm, I'm really excited. Like I've got one here on my desk that I wish I could show off. Um, but you know, <laughs> maybe in a couple of months. Such uh, a tease. <laughs> I'll send you some private pics. Just DM me. Um, 
but uh, yeah, I, I kind of look forward to those little little times that I can jump out and check out the new gear and bring some of it back home and tinker with it and mess with it um, just to get away. Uh, not that I don't love my family, but sometimes I just want to drive and do something else. Yeah. Yeah. Alone time is still good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So Alex, how did you get into um, suits or what, what made you decide that there was uh, a market for a more tactically designed suit? Well, uh, I just kept ruining them. Uh, <laughs> so my background is in security consulting, um, public and private sector. I lived in the UK for quite a while and I developed uh, a love of tailoring. Uh, and sartorial kind of traditions, British ones in particular. I lived next to Savile Row at one point. And uh, at this point, I was working for a big four, like a corporate entity, you know, consulting firm that does everything. They do accounting, they do technology consulting, they do risk consulting. And in the risk consulting branch, uh, they do some pretty specialized stuff. So I was working for them. And it was pretty cool. I, I got to do some operational stuff. But as you know, with corporate life, it's not all cool stuff. It's some of it's pretty mind numbing. So when I was on some projects that were pretty boring, I would try to like find an outlet. And so I would just go to Savile Row, uh, I, which I think is the oldest tailoring district in the world, if not well, definitely the most well known. And I would just go down to you know, the basements and I would, I would watch people work. And eventually I developed relationships with some of these tailors and, um, I would kind of learn the craft. Now I wouldn't make a suit myself. <laughs> I did try once. And, uh, that experiment has a place of honor in a box in my closet, never to be seen again. But, uh, I, I, I really internalized like the craft of it, I really began enjoying it. I, I started seeing all the geometries of it, and uh, there's something quite magical and special about it. But before uh, I was working at that big four company, I was very operational. I did executive protection and uh, you know counter corporate counterintelligence in Asia Pacific, which is at that time the 2000s, pretty nuts. And I would just ruin suits. Um, my first suit was a Xenia. Uh, Napoli Couture Triple X that I bought in Beijing for the Olympics. I was on a close protection detail and it was lots of money, but I was making good money at that point. It was my first nice suit that was not purchased, you know, from on sale at a department store rack or something like that. And that night, our principals got into a, a bit of a thing at a like a disco club or what have you with a bunch of rugby like rugby lads on tour and i just you know we went hands-on it was a little thing put him in the vehicle uh on the way back i was saying you know i'm pretty amped and my partner who was kind of my supervisor he's like you're feeling amped i'm like yeah i'm feeling really loose he's like you're feeling really loose because you tore out your sleeves from the back of your suit <laughs> and i was like really really sad because like oh god damn like these this is ludicrously expensive suit and I got it fixed up uh, and I asked him to reinforce the stitching so that it wouldn't tear out again. And then it happened like two days later again, but instead of the stitches tearing, like the fabric ripped and I was like, it, that was done. That was thousands of dollars down the drain. So I, I remember just asking like, doesn't somebody make a suit for people who need to like move around? I mean, the FBI in the, in the, G. Edgar Hoover days, they were, you know, gunfighting in the streets uh, in suits and uh, just, just like U.S. Secret Service and whatnot. Does nobody make a suit? And they no. 
you just buy a, a suit that you expect to destroy, a cheap suit. Uh, you buy two sizes too big for you so that you can move around in it or you can carry it or whatever. And uh, that's that's it. And I just thought there's got to be a better solution than that, a more elegant solution than that. So I sat on it for a few years. And then when I decided to leave the corporate world, I decided this would be my this would be my my fun retirement. That's awesome. What um, what do you put in your suits that give them that extra flexibility and strength that you wouldn't find in a very traditional high end one? So the lower piano fabric we use is a traveler fabric and it's got some lycra in it, like 2% lycra, which gives it a tiny bit of stretch. Um, not a huge amount, but uh, enough for mobility. For the shoulder specifically, we actually put in what we call the action back, which is a play on the old British biswing back, which is what you used to find in these very structured, heavy tweed and cavalry tweed, uh, cavalry twill jackets, like hunting jackets, uh, which is uh, kind of a, a vent or a, like not a vent, sorry, like a pleat. But for us, we actually take it a step further. We take a piece of power power net or power mesh, which is kind of sport bra material. Uh, it's a highly elastic mesh. And then we connect the two sleeves in that action back. So you get the elasticity all the way through the back. But when you're finished, the spandex element pulls the sleeves back in. So it's not like the folds of fabric is hanging out the back. Uh, so that's it for the mobility. And we also have, you know, super fabric for abrasion resistance and some cut resistance. And we have a Kevlar ultra high molecular weight polyethylene knit uh, that we use for our, our sleeves. It's a, it's highly breathable very soft you can roll into a ball but uh you would put that in our sleeves for kind of incidental cut resistance uh we don't like to say oh yeah you can just like ask a guy to slash at you or in a, or whatnot um but if you have to grapple with somebody uh with an edge weapon or something like that uh, you can do it with a bit more confidence if you get for instance quite a like a sloppy arm bar and the blade is digging into your bicep you know in most cases you would have to reset and push the guy away and hope they can get him again or something but with that cut resistance sleeve you can apply pressure and you know be confident that you know, that blade is not going to just you know cut into you i think you've got a good story about the buttons as well alex i know it's a little detail oh, yeah. i kind of i really dig the, the story around that yeah um you're great jonathan uh the, the quick draw button uh was I, I had a close protection detail he was a british lord and he always said that like a jacket must be buttoned that is the only way a gentleman wears a jacket and um it is very like it's very inappropriate to wear the the jacket open because it implies all sorts of things. <laughs> you know, you kind of roll your eyes at it, but you say, okay, well, you're the principal, you're the client. Uh, but the problem is obviously it becomes very difficult to get to your weapon. You, you know, you add like a solid second to your draw stroke when you're trying to open that button. So I just, you know, as a, as an interim measure, I just uh, put like a, a snap button on it. Uh, and that ended up becoming like very popular on the detail. And there's like a counterintelligence, counter surveillance aspect to it also, which is that, you know, security guys, they don't wear their jackets closed for, for that reason, because you can't get to your weapon, you can't do what have you. Um, so if you are on a detail and you're a low profile, low vis guy, you don't, you're not that, you know, six foot four, um, you know, bulking kind of uh, bouncer type if you can kind of play off as a PA or as a lawyer or someone in the entourage and you have your jacket done up, 
no one's going to think you're security. No one's going to think you're the body man. And uh, you're going to kind of avoid being that first point of contact if someone tries to, to you know, have a go at your client, at your principal. That's awesome. And you said you're uh, out of the corporate world and now uh, Grayman is your full-time job? Yeah, it's a full-time job. Uh, obviously, when when COVID first, you know, happened, February, March, April, uh, there was just uh, governments and, and commercial entities were scrambling to respond. So we did a bunch of consulting, emergency management and stuff like that on the side, just, uh, you know, especially around uh, procurement of PPE and some other things also. Uh, so we, you know, did a bit of that. Um, but that was also because at the time operations for tailoring were completely frozen due to, you know, I think DHL's capacity was down by 80% in East Asia. Um, we had packages sitting in our shop that didn't get picked up for over a week. Um, and like, additionally, obviously our tailors weren't in Shanghai. They have, they were outside of Shanghai, uh, for Chinese new year when the, this like countrywide quarantine military quarantine happened so they couldn't get back in to finish finish orders and my customers were really gracious and we extended some some uh some gratitude for that uh for their patience with us but at that time there was nothing we could do with Graham and company operationally except you know pull our hair out and just look at our project management boards and see how late everything was <laughs> so we did uh, we did what we could for um what we believed to be a really catastrophic um occurrence now thank god in canada especially it wasn't nearly as bad as we were fearing uh but at that time yeah organizations were scrambling so uh we mm -hmm. kind of felt like we had to move on it yeah it, it's so weird because like the the day i met both of you guys at uh shot show in january um when we did this the first time um i had just heard about it someone was showing me video of some wild stuff happening in wuhan and i like that was crazy but i didn't really pay too much attention to it i'd hear it occasionally um and then it's just everything uh at least here in the u.s everything just fucking exploded in uh in march and it's it's wild just the the time looking back now that i think we're we're through the worst of it i think it's it's going to be here for a while um but people aren't panicking like they were it was crazy. There's a couple of weeks there that just the the whole world thought that this was uh, this shit was gonna hit the fan. Yeah. Well, I mean, there wasn't any toilet paper, right? So if the shit. Hit the I fan, know that, that was the worst of it. <laughs> that was the weirdest thing. I expect. I, I still don't know exactly like what caused that rush, but for whatever reason, just one store went out, or everyone sees it's out, and then everyone has to have it. Yeah. Uh, I remember going to the grocery store the first time after the um, what really kicked off the panic um where i'm at was uh the travel ban to europe when when trump first announced that and i'm like oh man that's crazy oh i better go to the store and i was just going to get some groceries and it was like black friday but a lot less jolly and just everyone was freaking out yeah i want to know what that uh where where it started it's certainly a butterfly effect it, it had to start somewhere where you know someone's like yeah, I'm going to buy a bottle of toilet paper. And then someone's like, well, shit, I'm going to do the same thing. And then just kind of like. <laughs> Here's an interesting uh, question from YouTube. Uh, I'm Canadian. Uh, what state to move to to have the best freedom? Alex, how about you tell us that? 
I'm still here, so <laughs> I don't know if I can give you advice on that. I understand why now is the time to ask that question. Um, how how strict have the lockdowns uh, been in Canada? Oh, the lockdowns are fine. Uh, I was thinking more like the, our gun laws right now. Oh yeah, that with Prime yeah, Minister Blackface shooting. Yeah, yeah, that was. I I I can't believe he had the gall to do that during. A quarantine and everything yeah. um yeah there's a lot of politics involved in that there's a lot of uh, a lot of questions around the event in nova scotia the shooting that led mm-hmm. to it um and i yeah, think i've heard there's some you know, some weird questions around that that haven't been answered yeah yet. i think even liberals would not fault me for saying that it's pretty sketchy um and there needs to be a lot more coming in and the fact that the you know um the the public safety minister and the prime minister jumped so quickly to say oh it's a it's a the problem is legally owned guns was like really man um really <laughs> uh I, you know what as a canadian i would i would do new hampshire personally because you know it's not far from us it's in new england but you know live free or die and that is new hampshire isn't it live free or die Mm -hmm. yeah yeah okay there you go so i mean climate wise i don't know if i could deal with with florida or texas i think oh yeah i'd kind of boil you know but uh i could do new hampshire pretty easily i think i think it comes down to what you what you're after like um you know if, if people can't tell i'm from australia so um i've i moved to the u.s 10 years ago nearly and um you know because California to begin with. So that was interesting. And then Colorado, which uh, I think we sorely miss. And then now we're just, you know, just north of Seattle in Washington. But, you know, depends what you're after. If you want good museums and all that kind of stuff, well, there's some cities for that. If you want, um, you know, to exercise your constitutional rights, there is Texas and Florida and Arizona. <laughs> you want freedom. <laughs> I was looking at the uh, quotes. I, I think... If you want freedom and barbecues, go to Texas. Like Texas, <laughs> I don't know. Like you know, again, or, uh, Utah I mean, or Wyoming are yeah, very sparsely yeah. populated with uh, excellent, excellent uh, freedom laws. Yeah, actually, so Utah is actually. If you're worried about, if you're worried about the apocalypse, Utah is the place to go. Utah will survive. Uh, yeah, that is when the when the, place when of the entire choice. world ends. Salt Lake City will still be there. There's a. It's an interesting. It, I, I'm still in that, you know, corporate security sphere. So I still talk to a bunch of people in it. And, you know, apart from New Zealand, Utah, especially for American high net worth, is the place to be for, you know, like the whole business continuity industry. Uh, there's a lot of bunkers and what have you in Utah. That's the place to be for survival, man. Yeah, I love Utah. I love Colorado. Like just... Uh, Topography wise, it's beautiful. I like, I like the people here for the most part. Um, it's just the the gun laws have gotten la- less awesome the last few years, but they're still decent. Everyone wants to move there, and the politics move with them. So, unfortunately, yeah. Colorado <laughs> yeah. and California, it's just or Colorado and Texas. That's where all the Californians keep going. But hey, you if you if you live in you know some part of Wyoming, it's it's not that far to Denver and mm. to, to to fly around. So. I think it's a good location. Um, there's a question about, do you need a green card citizenship to own guns? And no, you don't. You need a hunting license to, to be able to own a gun. Ask me how I know. 
That is interesting. Yeah, I, I went through all of this. Um, so, you know, having grown up in Australia and uh, back in, I think it was the late 90s, don't quote me on this, uh, there was the, what's called, um, shoot, I don't know if I the name of it, but it does a massacre. And um, the, the Prime Minister outlawed a lot of different kind of firearms. There was buybacks and all that kind of stuff. So it was very difficult to access firearms. But I was able to um, shoot with friends and, and all that kind of thing. And um, my wife shot quite a bit. Um, she was uh, doing a lot of competition pistol shooting. Um, but one of the things I looked forward to moving to the U.S. about, because we started a business here and that's why we moved over, was the ability to own firearms and, and shoot and that kind of thing. I'm, I'm very much into mechanical things and, you know, firearms are one of those things that I'm really into. So um, having moved over, I came on a visa and to be able to own a firearm on a visa, you just have to have a hunting um, permit and in California, I had to go through a hunting safety course. Once I had those two things, I could pretty much buy anything else a U.S. citizen could or um, uh, a um, resident. So, yeah, it wasn't that difficult at all. Um, I mean, compared to shooting in Australia, it was actually pretty easy because in Australia, you have to go through a lot of peer reviews and be part of a club and shoot certain frequency and have the police come and visit your house to check that everything's in a safe and all that stuff. So here, even though people say it's onerous, um, you know, having come from a place where my background was really onerous, um, it was pretty straightforward. And, 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 you know, regardless, I think all of us will will argue that if you own a firearm, you should be doing some safety classes. You should be doing, Mm -hmm. um, courses that give you the knowledge of how to, to operate it in the best way possible in how you want to use a bit for self-defense or hunting or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, it, it isn't that difficult. Can, um, uh, can you get a concealed carry permit for in states? No, allowed? no. Um, you are not allowed to use firearms for self-defense. You should hmm. use your Uh, of course it makes sense but that is one unfortunate thing um about all this craziness that happens the last several months is that on a good day most firearm owners especially first-time buyers are going to have minimum to no training on it Mm -hmm. and as soon as the lockdown started and everyone started getting scared there's a lot of people that um either were against guns or didn't have them that suddenly thought, man, I need a gun now and they go and get it and they have no idea how to use it. And fortunately now with the ammo shortage, that means it's also difficult for first time buyers with their new gun to go and practice for it. Yeah. Yeah. Have you read all the articles about, uh, especially in California, about the surprises for first-time uh, gun buyers? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. That's the people that don't know how many rules there are. I have a friend at a local FFL that uh, he said, unironically, several times people had come up to him and they have a storefront. They don't work at they don't set up at gun shows. They have a storefront. First time people would come in and they'd look at stuff like, cool, can I use that the gun show loophole and get one of them AR assault rifles? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's great that there are people that are encouraged to take their own safety in their own hands mm-hmm. and, um, you know, feel that this is the, the way that that's going to be the best for them. And, you know, I, I encourage everyone to, to consider this. Um, some people may not want that sort of responsibility for themselves, but those that do, 
you know, it's not just a, you know, you have it and it's there and therefore you're safe. You know, there, there are so many layers to become proficient, to be, mm-hmm. to understand, you know, what you need to know to really have the benefits of, of owning such a tool. Um, so it's, it's great though that uh, so many people are looking to it this way and hopefully it'll have an impact on legislation and, um, you know, there's going to be some good lessons for, for citizens, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to voting for certain sort of lawmakers. But you, you can't count on that. Um, no, I heard no, a lot of people no. went away quite angry about it. And yeah, with the 10 day wait. Yeah. Well, I mean, is there going to be a real takeaway that they're going to act, then be activated to vote against stupid laws? Uh, yeah. Probably you know, not. Probably not. Because I think for most people, gun laws and what a politician's stance on gun laws aren't even on their radar for just the average person. Yeah. And and unfortunately, most of the time, they use half-truths or complete lies to mm-hmm. push through policies um, that, you know, when you, for all intents and purposes, on the veneer looks like it's a common sense type position. But in reality... Um, you know, they're, they're really relying on activating people that have no idea. And um, unfortunately, a lot of people are just knee-jerk voters and yeah. a lot of the politicians take advantage of that. I think one of the few good things um, that have come out of the pandemic and then the riots immediately afterwards is that a lot of people uh, realized that they are responsible for their own um for their own security that especially in some of these big cities during the riots, people would call for the police and they have their hands full. They can't handle it. You need to handle it yourself. And I know a number of people that were either anti-gun or like, I'm okay with a gun, but why do you need an AR-15? And then with recent events realizing, you know, maybe, maybe there's an actual practical uh, use to have one of those for just in case. (laughs) And all those other good reasons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been fascinating to watch and um yeah i mean it's it's sad when a society breaks down to, to the point where you do have to rely on yourself but yeah. you know it goes back to that saying of like you know when seconds count you know the the people that can help mm-hmm. change things a, a minute away um, hope for the best and prepare for the worst i don't yeah. buckle in my seatbelt when i get in my car because i'm planning on driving into a wall um, I, I buckle up if in the event uh, something else happens. Yeah. I'd argue, though, it's not just about firearms. I mean, um, doing um, medical training, I think, is, is vital yeah. as well. And there's, there's lots of layers of, of preparation. to, yeah. And that, I think, is even way less common than firearms ownership. Is any yeah, kind of medical. It's probably far more frequent that you're going to. Oh yeah, it's universal. I think you're you're way more likely to have to like stop bleeding than to cause bleeding for (laughs) the average person. Yeah, yeah. Alex, what is what is training like in um, in Canada? Like, how accessible is it? Uh, Firearms training or stop the bleed Um, training? I mean, across the board, anything that's that's related to that preparedness mindset. So, I mean, firearms training is uh, mandatory uh, to have a firearms license in a possession acquisition license in Canada. And uh, there's, you know, a few different, I think if you're politically down the middle, I think there's a few different perspectives you can have on it being mandatory. But, uh, you know, the the takeaway that I have is I feel very confident um, when I'm at a range that everyone there knows what they're doing. 
when I hear something, you know, when I hear someone on boxer or, or rack a slide or something behind me at the range, I don't kind of flinch and look back and say like, is that guy loading behind me or what, what is he doing? Um, so the firearms training is the, if, if you're buying a gun, you, you are trained in the basics and safety and what have you. Um, as far as the other, there's more advanced training now, uh, in Canada, I think there was maybe a, a three or four year lag when this, you know, the tactical, you know, the, the Magpul dynamics started in the U S and it really kicked off this whole, uh, industry of tactical training. Um, there was like a, a few years of lag before that really took off in Canada, but we have that now as well. Um, but, uh, other kinds of, of, of survival or, um, uh, kind of practical training. There's like stop the bleed and medical training. That's, uh, quite, uh, ubiquitous throughout, uh, or at least available university universally throughout Canada's St. John's ambulance and a bunch of other NGOs and, um, you know, government, uh, related uh, agencies kind of provide that training. So it's pretty good. That's one of the things that, you know, when this first kicked off, obviously I'm sure that we all experienced this, all of our friends, um, all of our friends kind of probably came to us and said like, you know, help what's going to happen. I'm coming to your place. You protect <laughs> yeah. me. You know, like, ha ha ha. Right. And you're like, ha, a funny don't joke. show up to my house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, buddy. Like I, I have a freezer. I got a freezer full of meat just for my family, et cetera. Um, but the, what I told them, they, the big question is like, what do I buy? Right. Toilet paper, a gun. You know, you, we were talking about like LA and or or those you know gun stores in LA that had like people around the block. Because like, I own a gun now, I'm fine, right? But uh, what I was telling people was, well, I mean, yeah, there's like here's here's like a, a bug out bag list or whatever. I don't necessarily suggest you ever bug out. Um, well, at least in most situations, bugging out is may not be your best course of action. But uh, here's the list. It's freely available on the internet. But what's way more important is you know how to, you know, you, you know how to apply a tourniquet or a hemostatic or, you know, how to just simply rest, rest in a, you know, an elevate and all that stuff. So um, that's far more important. Mm-hmm. But obviously people don't like to do that because people are inherently lazy. They want to throw money at the solution. They want to buy something that gives them the capability when it's like, oh, you, you know, you can actually just literally just Google it and go to the wiki how. And that will improve your survivability by, you know, a quite substantial proportion. Yeah. Well, and with the medical stuff, I've, cause I'm, I've, I've done a handful of classes and I try and encourage other people to do it. And a lot of times I hear it's like, well, if I need any medical stuff, I'll just call the fire department. And I'm like, well, well especially um, when it comes to bleeding time is time is very important. The fire department could be minutes away. It's just, especially here in Colorado, because me and a lot of my friends, um, most of my hobbies involve being outside or up in the mountains in some capacity or another. In which case, if you do get in any kind of an accident, search and rescue can be hours away. Yeah. I mean, just during this crisis, just to kind of riff off what Alex was saying, um, we have had a lot of inquiries about this kind of stuff uh, with our brand. And it's something that we're actually going to promote. We're going to have a series of seminars, I think, starting next month about preparedness and uh, really about the mindset. Like a lot of people, people love the gear. Like gear is great. Like I, I love designing and, and making stuff like this, but 
it, the bigger thing is about the mindset, the, the circumstances that you're going to be using these items in and when and how and all that kind of stuff. So starting next month, we're going to have like a monthly seminar on mindset and preparedness and that, that kind of stuff that there really is going to be about, you know, what do you do in these sorts of circumstances? What sort of training should you undertake? Like um, all that kind of stuff. I don't want to give away too many details um, at this stage. We're still in the, the planning process, but if anything, a really good thing that has come out of, uh, you, know, you know, what we're going through right now, um, I was going to say as a nation, but internationally is people are giving more of a damn about looking after themselves and um, there's, a, there's a really good, just kind of riffing off that a little bit further, there's a really good comment in, in the feed here of like, everyone likes the ability to put holes in something, also needs to know how to plug holes. I mean, if you're going to be in that sort of a situation uh, where you are, you know, caring for self-defense, um, you know, it's likely you're going to encounter some kind of, you know, wounding. And so it just makes sense. Um, you're either going to be on the receiving end or someone around you is going to be on the receiving end. So it really makes sense. Um, There's actually a, a fascinating cultural insight. Um, I discovered we're designing a, a tourniquet uh, related accessory. Of course, it'll be incredibly elegant and uh, of course in granite and silk, <laughs> but it is a tourniquet. And uh, we, we got a lot of great consulting from uh, Sam, Sam Medical on it. They make that ratchet tourniquet, which is very easy to use. But uh, we've been working with a university or a college here uh, in Toronto, George Brown College, and um, they brought in some really cool like fashion, a fashion student and a medical student and an engineering student to work on it. And when they first looked at this thing, they were like, what the hell is this? Right? It's like, and when you show them how it works and you describe to them why it's necessary, the look of horror on their face, the medical student obviously was like, whatever. But, uh, you know, the fashion student was like astonished, like, wait, so like, what, why would you ever need that? But, you know, when you talk to people about the, the, the granular details of, of, of trauma and, uh, you know, uh, first aid and all that stuff, it, it's quite jarring to them. But they're used to playing Call of Duty or, or seeing, you know, watching John Wick and whatever and seeing, you know, and they, they, they think it's so easy to, you know, you put you to put a hole in someone, to put the bullets on target, whatever you point the gun, you pull the trigger, they think. And it's quite sterilized. And they think that's fine to watch a, a guy's head blow up or whatever headshot. Um, but the second that you actually like, oh, well, you know, you have to like tighten this because you could bleed out through a femoral artery or something like that. And then you kind of help them visualize it. It is very, very uncomfortable for them. And mm -hmm. I think, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people just don't like to think about the idea of that. And it's just, especially in our very, very comfortable modern world, it's easier to just not think about that happening than, uh, preparing for the possibility of it. We have so much separation from a lot of uncomfortable things such as mm -hmm. food production. <laughs> Let's just start off with the basics there. Like a lot of people don't know how meat gets on our table. Um, so they it's have not a pleasant process. No, it's not. <laughs> um, all the way through to, you know, trauma management and, you know, then other things like self-defense and whatever else. So, um, yeah, there, there's a real disconnect in society these days, at least, you know, in the, in the areas that we are lucky to live in. Um, so, it's quite fascinating when people get interested in it and sort of the realization that they go through uh, from, you know, being separated from it to actually um, getting interested in it and then feeling the, the sense of empowerment that they get out of it and achievements as well. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, there are so many skills to, to to acquire. It's it's a lifetime, I guess, of of uh, of learning yeah. that a lot of us go through. Um, but there's a lot of really great trainers out there. It's, it's really encouraging to see a lot of um, you know firearms uh, trainers also starting to get into to emergency medicine. And also, there is those more dedicated um, trainers such as Dark Angel Medicine, ITS, mm-hmm. um, and various others. Um, but you know, if people are interested in it, it's definitely out there. It's just, it's just not as sexy, I guess. And it's just a little, no, it's, it's not it's a little, cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of people, I think, just have uh, a fantasy, like Alex said, from from movies and media about using a gun in a self defense situation, how it's going to be like glorious, and uh, no one's no one's that is going to get hurt. That's not supposed to get hurt, and it'll be great. But it's. It's, it's a lot more complicated than that. And it's just a matter of trying to educate people on that process. And I feel like, especially recently with the millions of first-time gun owners, that's the first step. And it's, unfortunately, it's, it's just on the average gun owner and teaching their friends and trying to encourage people to expand beyond just, okay, you have you have a revolver and you have a box of ammo. Now you need to know how to use it and you need to know how to save I dare say, though, a lot of the, the people that, that listen to your, your podcasts are of the mindset of training is great and mm-hmm. something that they really, um, you know, invest in and enjoy being a part of. And I think that a lot of us are in this great position to really be advocates for not just, you know, self-defense and whatever else, but everything else that, that comes around that. Um, you know, I think we're in a, in a position to really be able to elevate those around us and, and share our knowledge. So, you know, I hope everyone's getting, everyone's listening is getting that opportunity to, um, share, you know, um, the, the knowledge that they have and, uh, point people in the right direction. I mean, quite often we want to be like us and them of like, uh, newbies, like noobs, they're the worst, like first time gun owners or liberals or when they throw other labels on, on people, but, Really, you know, I think often people want the same thing. They want safety. They want security. They, they want their, their families to, to be taken care of. And really, I think a lot of our mindset is central around that. It's just expressed a slightly different way where we want to be very self-reliant, whereas others, you know, feel comfortable relying on others to, to take care of them um, in these sorts of circumstances. So, you know, now's a great time to reach out to, to friends and family and others and, and um you know, share with them like, Hey, you know, I know things are tough right now. Have you thought about, you know, self-defense? Have you thought about medical security? Have you thought about preparedness and all that kind of stuff? Um, yeah. Yeah. To switch gears a little bit, um, just because I had, (laughs) (laughs) no, it's good. I think it's an excellent topic that like I said, um, there's no, it's not being pushed anywhere. So it, it's just up to, I think, just the, the community as a whole to try and encourage people to to get involved with that. But um, SHOT Show, do you guys think that's going to happen at all this year? Do you think it's just going to get canceled or postponed? I'm hoping it's far enough yeah. out that it'll happen because weren't they uh, supposed to move to like a new convention center or something for this year? I think you're just saying that because you're going to come to Alex's and my party again. Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> the the uh, the HK uh, Grayman Sog Party was one of the classiest things I've ever been to. My family yeah. comes from trailer parks, so being there, I felt really out of my element. 
uh, I, I hope you felt welcome though. Like, yeah, it looks, it looks flashy, but really, you know, we, we're all gun guys and, and. Oh no, it was, it was yeah. really cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, Alex, uh, I'm interested in your opinion on on whether you think uh, Shot Show is going to go ahead. I, 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 would, like, I would like to, uh, because yeah. when they expanded, they they reached out to me and they, they basically said, "We know that you've been thinking about actually exhibiting at Shot Show, um, but obviously we haven't because you know real estate there is very competitive and there's like a whole very you know, expensive and there's yeah, there's a lot of politics bad. that go into it as well just getting in it's hard to get boost. if you had all the money in the world you may not be able to get a good spot because mm-hmm. just uh just because of seniority and and uh, the waiting list and all this stuff so they they reached out and they said you know we, we have room now and you know up until this point as as you know we've just been doing parties um we thought that that was like a really good way to kind of experience the brand maybe more so than a booth in a you know exhibition hall but mm-hmm. like i was really looking forward to putting together a booth for shot show <laughs> um but yeah I, I the trajectory that we're on right now i mean we've we've got you know half a year to go so who knows i'm hoping that we can do it uh the trade show industry from a larger economic standpoint is with billions of dollars. So mm-hmm. something has to happen with that. Right. It was so weird seeing the pictures of Las Vegas recently and how just the, the main strip is just abandoned. And because they're in- it's quite tragic because it's a city full of the nicest people because I mean, what is it like 60% trade show industry in that, in that town. So they're just internalized being so friendly just i guess due to the profession and to kind of you know look at vegas for the past few months and and say basically there's really very little income going in there uh it was it's quite tragic and i'm really hopeful that they can figure something out uh to get these trade shows kind of yeah well there we go Oh yeah, yeah. We have uh, someone on YouTube says uh, my group does security for Shot. As of right now, it's on. They're usually looking at SEMA, uh, but that got canceled, so it's a bit up in the air at the moment. So at the moment, we've it's good, but we'll the, see. We've been on all the updates because you know we exhibit on the main floor there, and you know initially we we're looking at CES, which is a massive international show, a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just coming to that, and that got canceled, and then we heard the AVNs got canceled. So oh, no, you know, if oh, AVN's canceled, why are we even like what? Like it's <laughs> over, guys. <laughs> so, so, um, someone put on a poll like, like just yesterday of like, do you think Shot Show will go ahead? And instead of going yes or no, I actually put in another uh, poll response of, I say it's going to go ahead, but it's going to be co-hosted with the AVNs. So it's going to be a virtual show. It's going to be like back in the old days with, with Shot Show when AVNs were at the same time. It's probably before your time, Derek. <laughs> but, <laughs> um. But yeah, I, I think seeing uh, CES and and ABNs that that bookend uh, shot show being both being cancelled is kind of a little concerning. Um, mm-hmm. It's, I mean, as an exhibitor, we're there to do business. We're not there just to have fun. I mean, I really yeah. enjoy the events that we put on with with uh, Graham and company, um, but we we're there to show people and position ourselves a certain way. And Alex does a lot of business there because. Um, you know, he's uh, he's got a, a room where he is doing measurements of people that come through um, for, for new suits and showing off all of, you know, what he does. But at our booth, we've got a lot of international visitors coming in that wouldn't be able to meet with us normally. So, you know, we, are, we rely on the show as a demonstration platform for us to 
you know, talk about, you know, why we exist and what our products do and where we're going, all this kind of stuff. So especially knives are unique because they're it's very it's a very textile experience when you pick up and feel a knife and unfold it and fold it and how how it balances. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a lot of details that you just can't convey. Uh, I mean, firearms are very similar as well. Um, you know, the, the, the way things sit in your hand and how they operate and, and all that kind of stuff, knives are very similar. And it is very much a, a you know, dexterous and tactile experience. Um, and, it, you know, for us, it's especially important as we're in this phase where we're transitioning the brand away from this Walmart junkie side. Sorry, I hate to say it. For my time, <laughs> trash about you know where the brand was, um, you know where we, we were taking things. A lot of it, you have to hold it to touch it and see it to understand the the stark difference between where we were before and where we are now. So, for us, um, I don't know. I mean, we'd really like to see the show, um, but um, if people aren't going to be there, if we can't get international visitors coming to us, if we can't even get domestic visitors coming to the show it really undermines why it exists. Um, so we hope conditions will be such that, that we can host it, but it's going to be, it's going to be difficult um, if, if people don't, don't come. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about the tactile aspect, I'm going to plug your product. You help plug mine. Yeah, the sure. Ultra XR that you debuted to uh, some VIPs at our party blue minds and it was one of those things where i actually look at the photos of the ultra xr now and it really doesn't do it justice when i hold mine in my hand it is such a wonderful product it is it is the carbon fiber really makes a difference it is so light oh there you go yeah it's so light. it's such a so wicked i love it that's that's my favorite knife right now i carry it with me everywhere so if you like this we're about to, so at SHOT, I'll give you guys a little preview. At SHOT, we are releasing um, a slightly larger version of it Ooh. called the Terminus. And it, it, it too is carbon fiber. And yeah, these are gold, uh, as you can see on, on sort of all the Tainai coatings. It's, it's something you, you can't see um, if you're just looking at it. The only thing you can really tell feeling it is just how light it is. It genuinely yeah. just feels like a money clip. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's what it was designed for. Um, we we get a lot of feedback from females that jog with it, and actually a lot of guys as well. But we get a large proportion of females saying, "I love it because I can put this in my, you know, uh, Alexa Athletica pants and go running with it, and you know, I can. It's there. I know it's there, but it's got a nice wide blade and a really good grip. So if I need it, it's going to do some good work. So while it does look fashionable and, you know, um, Alex really enjoys wearing it because it goes with stuff. Um, it, it has been designed from the ground up purely for, you know, proper use. It's, it's not made just to look good. It's made first to, to function well. But uh, where I was going with this was we've got this other one um, that is carbon fiber liners and spacer. So it's incredibly light. Mm-hmm. But again, um, you know, full fuller size handle and blade if, if you find that um, Ultra is too small. So this is Terminus XR LTE or the, or the light edition. And for those that aren't into their gold tie-nine, they don't want their, um, you know, their, their barrels on the CCW matching their, their knife. It does come in graphite gray. Um, but anyway, this is going to be some of the stuff we're going to be showing at, at SHOT Show and a bunch of other things that I'm really excited about for later on in uh, 2021. 
like I said, I'm always working way ahead. God, I'm, I'm God, I can't wait for 2020 to be over. Yeah. It started off so strong, <laughs> but man. Um, I was actually going to say, I have, I have issues, a singular issue with your, your carbon fiber line, which is that uh, we have in our, our grandma and company trousers, we have these covert, um, covert pockets uh, they're they're made for they they sit inside of the waistband so you can't see them and they're they're made for you know knives or or pistol mags or whatever you may need to carry and when i stick the ultra xr in there i for i not only do i forget it's there but i actually leave it in there and i forget where i put it because i take off my trousers you know at the end of the day or whatever i hang them up and they're so light that you don't realize that they're still in there. And when you flip them over, most things fall out of the pockets, right? But the Ultra XR actually just stays in there fully upright because it is so light. And I like, I'm constantly like, where did I put my freaking like money? And I'm sorry for the problem. It probably then smashes up your uh, washing machine, which, which we've heard a bunch of people have, you know, put it through the washing machines. They just forget it's there. Whoops. you know, it, it's like if you design anything, you've got to balance out things. You you choose where you're going to put the emphasis. And there is no such thing as what people call the Jesus knife. Like people, like I see these ads in various different publications are like, this is the best fixed blade for everyday carry and everything. And you're kind of like, uh, there's no such thing as the best thing for everything. Like it's a lie that, you know, certain manufacturers tell because they think it's going to be effective. But if you know anything about anything, you know, things have been designed to do something really well and it might do some other things really great. And that's a bonus, but um, you know, that's a tack that, that we've taken and, and we've really sort of leaned into now that we design things to be really good at one thing. And if it does other things well, then great, but we want it to be really focused. I mean, um, you can see this in every industry, like in the firearms industry, you're going to have to be picking where the balance is going to be. You know, do you want more ammunition or do you want slimmer profile? I mean, certain brands are now coming onto that and trying to do things like, you know, the P365 or, um, you know, steel mags for the, the Glock 43 to, to hold more rounds and try and balance it out. But then, you know, you've got other kind of compromises that, that you got to make. So, um, yeah, Ultra is one of those that's super thin, super light, breaks your washing machine. But, uh, you know, you, you won't notice this there when, you, when you're carrying it. That's awesome. Before we wrap up tonight, gentlemen, um, is there any particular uh, products or anything like that you'd like to show people or where can people find you, uh, Jonathan? If they want um, more information or on, or just refer them to SOG. Uh, usual social social media places, so SOG Knives, um, you know, for, for Instagram and, and Facebook and YouTube, uh, sodknives.com for the website. Uh, we've just launched all of our new designs, uh, the XR Pro series, which is our more professionally orientated uh, XR lock folders, just got uh, released. Uh, Ultra XR just got released a couple of weeks ago, but it just it keeps selling out. We can't keep them in stock. It's crazy. Um, so if you snag one, uh, well done. Um, but Blade HQ and Knife uh, Center and, and the usual sort of suspects, uh, a lot of them have, have got stuff, but, you know, social media is just fine. Excellent. Alex, uh, where can people go if they need a beautifully made, classy, but functional suit? 
Uh, that's www.grayman.co, just .co, not .com. And that's A, like the American spelling of gray. Uh, on Instagram, we are at grayman.co. We will be in the not distant future uh, coming out with a whole bunch of new things, uh, pivoting around kind of things that complement menswear. Um, right now, we're looking at a silk cotton undershirt, which was inspired by when I used to wear effectively women's lingerie under body armor because it works better than under armor and Nike dry fit. So, uh, there's that and, uh, a Merino wool polo shirt, pure Merino wool polo shirt, uh, with a couple features for guys, just because the polo shirt is the second uniform of a close protection detail and what have you. Uh, so we'll make announcements on those, uh, through Instagram. Uh, you can also just email us at the concierge at grayman.co or reach out kind of in, in any of those like Facebook, Instagram, what have you ways where we, we try to monitor them pretty tightly and we're all about that concierge experience. So we're happy to talk to you. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, before we wrap up, we got a comment. Is this a one-time comeback or will we be coming or we be live moving forward? Um, if you guys like it, if you enjoy it, we'll be live. Um, going forward now that we have the new shop set up which is why the, the podcast has been dead for so long because we just didn't have a place uh to host and record it but now that that's live i'm hoping to do this either once a week or every other week or whenever we feel like it but much more often than once every six months which was <laughs> which was the standard previously so we'll definitely we have some some cool guests coming up uh that i'm excited to share with you guys well, thank you, gentlemen, for coming on. This is fantastic. I'm, I'm still angry that we lost the shot show recording because we were all just drunk enough that it was great. Um, but this is still, this is still great. That's okay. Next shot. Thanks very much for having us on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks very much. Next no shot. No problem. Ne next shot. If it happens. Yeah. All right. Later, guys. Bye.